Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today is an exciting one. I am joined by Amy Rafferty, who is an incredible woman. She's a passionate environmentalist, feminist, and sole owner and founder of The Velvet Underground, which is a secondhand vintage store and a plant-based cafe in Whistler, BC. She uses her business to educate, empower, and promote self-expression and a more sustainable lifestyle. I am super excited to talk to her today. We're talking about the impact of mass production, and we're just going to have a casual conversation. It's not a Q&A format or anything like that, just a nice casual chat with two passionate environmentalists talking about mass production and how we can improve our waste inputs and our businesses in the fashion industry. So without further ado, grab a warm cup of coffee and let's jump right into this interview. Amy, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Velvet Underground before we start getting started on the impacts of mass production? Yeah. So um, I have a little vintage store in Whistler in Canada. Um, And it kind of, it actually started out, I was making my own clothes and when I was making my own clothes to sell them, I realized how um, it, it was like impossible to price things to compete with the big brands. And that's when it really dawned on me that there was some like massive exploit exploitation going on in the fashion industry. And that's kind of where my journey began. Um, and then from there, it kind of grew into, you know, I was always interested in vintage and stuff. And so I was kind of selling that on the side. And then as my interest in sustainable fashion grew, that's kind of how it sort of um, manifested into what I have now and selling selling vintage clothes and saving a lot of clothes from landfill. And yeah, so we pretty much... Obviously, we offer like a better solution to buying things new, but we really use our business as a platform to educate people on, you know, the the impact of shopping new and like what happens to your clothes after you donate them and all that kind of thing. Yes, that is something that I'm really excited about. That's one of the reasons why I was so excited to connect with you because of the, um, you know, the the amount of knowledge you have in the waste uh, management area, like what happens to clothes after. So for for those that are tuning in, so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about um, the impact of mass production and we're going to start talking about the production overload and then we're going to go through why overproduction happens and then what companies do with dead stock after. And I'm really excited about everything that Amy has to say with all of these topics. Um, so let's talk first about the um, production overload. So like the supply chain and the inability to fulfill order quantities due to overload. Can you maybe give us some insight of what why you think this is such a big problem and what causes it? Yeah, I think um, like it's just very, um, you know, fast fashion is when big, big brands copy essentially what's going on on the runway and like the trends that are happening there and they make them so that they pretty much get on the racks as fast as possible. And in order to do that in such a gigantic quantity, 
like you just are like really guessing at the kind of numbers that you, cause you don't really have anything to base it off. It's a new, a new style. Um, so they're just guessing at the numbers that they need to produce and they don't want to sell out. So they just make too much, make it in. And obviously the, the more they make, the more that they can drive the price down as well. So that's kind of how they like, that's why they make such huge quantities. And then of course, there's going to be like a lot left over because it's not accurate. A hundred percent. Like the, another big problem that I've noticed with production overload is they, it's all a race to the bottom. Right. And the problem with that is suppliers are then, or factories are then um, somewhat forced if they want to keep the business to subcontract. And then it's hard to see what type of um, labor conditions are in those subcontracted factories. And a big portion of that is, you know, exploited worker conditions, child, labor, um, especially um, because, you know, it's just so uh, poorly regulated um, that that's another thing that production, like the overload of the supply chain, that is such a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, I remember as like, probably I must have been like, 12 or something when like Nike came under scrutiny for the first time, at least in my memory for like massive, like, um, I guess they got busted for using all this child labor. And that was the first, I think that's the first memory I have of like realizing that brands were, you know, exploiting people. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people don't know about. And it's, it's hard for me to talk about it because I get, I feel very personally connected to the problem. Like when I, I lived, I grew up in Mexico in a very poverty heavy environment and I started working very, very young. And, um, that's something that I know has such a negative effect to children's lives and, um, their development. So when I know that this is something that's currently happening, like I, I really feel like it's something we need to talk about. And it's because of like what you said, they, they don't, um, think about the, uh, the amount that they have to make. So they overproduce, they don't really quantify their, their collections very well. And then there's just so much and it becomes overwhelming. Right. And that's something that, yeah, that is really damaging, like the supply chain specifically. Yeah, like um, the statistics say that fashion brands produce um, 140 new, 140 billion new garments every single year, and 40 billion of that they never even get sold. So that just kind of like puts it into perspective of like you know exactly how much is just that's just and that's like they have such well they don't even I don't even know how it happens but they I know this is like actually a really good um example of how little value these companies have on their clothes and this is over Black Friday pretty little thing would giving their clothes away and those clothes would have they were literally the kind of the clothes that they would have essentially just thrown out because of overstock and things like that but um because of you know because of black friday they were like let's just give them away which is so um obviously so wasteful because you know it's just really making people devalue clothes even more and you know i think for the people that know what's going on they know that those clothes were going in the garbage 
that's not they're not doing anyone any favors there they're just making it so it's not their problem exactly but it still ends up becoming a problem because then people overbuy because well they're not really buying anything they just over get clothes um and that was just so shocking to me when i saw that it something that really stuck out that we were talking about in our live was when you think about like the the chain of a garment and how much it costs when you finalize your product line and then you kind of break down the costs from everything so it's like if they're giving a hundred percent of their clothes away then basically what they're saying is we don't care about the people who make our clothes we don't care about how they're made we're just doing it just because it makes us a ton of money and when we have too much here we're doing something great like it's just so infuriating and I think that goes to show as well why they make so many clothes is because when you're selling a t-shirt for five dollars like the margins aren't exactly slim because you know that they're obviously exploiting people to make sure that they still take a decent enough cut but like in order um, to, you know, make money when you've got like a dollar profit off each thing or like a couple of dollars profit, you need to sell a lot of clothes. And I remember, um, this is like a famous like saying or something of Jeff Bezos's, um, that if you, if you, um, people that want high margins are lazy. And so like, he obviously has low, low margins, but sells like billions trillions of things every year and that's how he's like a trillionaire um so it's yeah it's just so fucked up a hundred percent so going back to that i want to talk about why overproduction happens so you we we talked about it just very briefly where you mentioned about the planning of collections um So one thing that I did notice is a lot of the times, I don't know why the industry is like this, but we usually work in very tight deadlines. And then um, we don't like, well, I won't speak for myself, but the industry typically doesn't anticipate the orders and everything that they'll have to produce. In your experience, was there anything um, that you've seen or noticed in the industry of like why the overproduction happens? Is it like a poor planning thing? Is it more of a business strategy thing or is it just because people just don't care? Um, I think it's like the deadlines are the way they are because like, you know, they see the, like there's only so far you can look into the future and like there's so many people involved in the process of like deciding what's fashionable and what's trendy and then so many people in between the process of being like, okay, that's trendy. Now we want to design it, make the patterns, test it out, produce it, and then put it on a rack. And that takes like, realistically, if you do that properly, that should take a really pretty long time, especially when you're doing it in like that quantity. So in order to push those forward so that, you know, like pretty much they want it so that you see the catwalk, whatever trends are on the catwalk and then you can pretty much get it like the next week. And I think there's some crazy like stats or something. I've read it before that, you know, companies have been known to literally put things like within a week, which I don't even know how the hell that's possible. Yeah. That's actually something that I wanted to mention is like, that's another reason why overproduction happens is what used to be um, four collections per year is now 52 collections a year. Like what we were talking about the other day and like that's 
a big, huge problem because I don't think there's a lot of strategic planning in terms of the amounts. Like I, I really feel like fast fashion companies, they don't really think about the production side in terms of the volume as much because they know whatever they do is going to generate a crazy amount of profits. So I feel like maybe their main goal is literally just to generate, like to get those collections out, whether they're made well, whether they, you know, follow compliance or whatever to just get them out. And the, the people who are in charge of, you know, kind of budgeting how much will be produced is a very loose game, right? Because it's like, as long as we can make more than we did last week, then we're good. So they overestimate that. And that's like such a big problem. And I feel like one of the solutions to that, especially that has been seen in um, like for small brands is just planning, like, like yeah. very strategic planning. Like when you plan for a longer period of time, like you can actually have a higher rate of success, right? Mm, which is pretty crazy. Cause like when you think about how much money they how many mistakes that they would make and how much that would cost them. It must be ridiculous. Like it seems super, super crazy, but I guess they cut their costs in other ways by exploiting people and the environment. A hundred percent. That's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really wanted to, to talk about was what happens after, since you are very well versed in what happens to the clothes after it's been overproduced. I feel like that's one of the biggest problems that we need to talk about because what you were saying earlier, you said over four, 400, no, 40 billion clothes don't get sold. And from my uh, experience what I've seen like I've seen clothes in the Atacama Desert in Chile just completely discarded I've seen clothes uh, just shipped to Ghana but then we don't really mm. talk about what's happening here as well so I thought maybe you could add some insight of what you've seen in the uh, what happens with companies dead stock or the overstock and you were saying something about like the illegal waste dumping and I'd, I'd love to hear more about that yeah so like a lot of the clothes at like these big warehouses that I go to to source vintage um they're all a lot of it is dead stock from thrift stores and it's funny because I was actually having a conversation with another a local thrift store a while ago and they were just like we don't know like we've got so much like overstock so much dead stock and like people like companies aren't taking it as much as they were and it's like really hard to find like where even with us and we like hand select our stuff um there's always stuff that you know doesn't sell and whatever and so I think like seeing what's going on with thrift stores and stuff like obviously people donate it heaps of it can't even be like actually sold in the first place and then that ends up straight into these like rag yards um to try and be salvaged maybe sold um usually shipped overseas but I think there's a lot of like circulation just within the secondhand industry and it's happening more and more now because the clothing is such poor quality. It doesn't have a resale value. And so it's just getting shipped from like thrift store to thrift store, you know, maybe like a reseller, like a vintage store, pick it up and then they'll sell it to another vintage store. And it just goes around in circles and it's just getting shipped everywhere until eventually it does, it'll end up at one of these warehouses where 
Um, it will get potentially depending on the fabric, if it's, you know, some stuff can be recycled and like ground up into other fibers, but like such a small amount, like it's literally almost none of it. Um, and then some of it can be shredded into like rags, like painters rags and things like that. Um, some of it is shredded down into couch cushions and stuff like that. And then whatever can't be, um, can't be used in that way or isn't picked up by like a vintage seller or whatever. It's then shipped off to these other countries, um, developing countries that are then left with the burden of deciding what the hell they're going to do with it. Cause it's usually just, you know, the Western countries, we skim the cream off it, off the top of all this clothing. And then what's left is like very low quality. So then, yeah. And then it's a huge problem. Um, I was actually just reading something, I'm just going to pull this up. So on average, 700,000 tons of used clothing gets exported overseas. 2.5 million tons of clothing um, gets recycled. Over 3 million tons are incinerated and a whopping 10 million tons gets sent to landfill. So that kind of just puts it into perspective of like, you know, what amount is just total, like you can't do anything with it. You can't even ship it overseas because... I think um, when things get shipped overseas, like some countries are like more strict on how they sort it and like what we should be doing and what like where the regulations are is that you are like sorting clothes into like categories like denim, um, pants, T-shirts, dresses, whatever, and they get these bales that are like categorised and are supposed to be like half decent. Some countries are like better at that than others and there's um, apparently from what I've researched that when they get these bales, they're like when they know what country they're coming from, like some bales hold like a higher value and some countries are known to put literal garbage in these bales. So, um, yeah, but that's like not even that much that's, you know, like uh, so much gets shipped overseas, but when you look at it in comparison to how much ends up in actual landfills, just over, even over here, it's insane. It is insane. And the lo- another thing, um, oh my God, there's so much that I want to contribute to this. <laughs> One of them is the, I wanted to talk about like the, the way that we view donations. Like I know that a lot of the way that it's advertised um because i was in the thrift store the other day and i saw like their advertorial of how they discard their waste, so how they deal with textile waste and a lot of it was they do what you just said circulate it a billion times and then once all the good stuff is gone basically then they use the term we donate it to developing countries who would need it and that part made my blood boil a little bit. Mm, yeah. Uh, what it's making people feel is like that, uh, that we're doing an act of good by sending our discarded clothes to um, other countries that they have to deal with. And the problem is that when these bales are sent over, like we don't pay anything, like we are sending them as donations, right? As charitable donations to mm. other countries. Uh, but they're literally like our trash. But then those countries, have to pay for those bales right because if mm. they have better clothes or whatever like you were saying some categories have higher value than others they actually mm. need to pay for the so-called clothes that we are um donating and that's another yeah. big problem in waste is 
on top of the clothes that and send up end up in local landfills a lot of the times as well local authorities do not want that kind of pollution on their local environment because mm. you know Vancouver's one of the greenest places in the world or whatever. So they literally send their their trash, like their landfill waste, to other countries as well to be incinerated in mm. other countries. Right. So that's mm-hmm. something that I, I I wanted to like I want people to know about is like it it really is it, there's so much um how do what do you call it there's so much uh, problems like with this with the industry like it's so mm-hmm. complicated in so many ways yeah um that it's so important for people to like understand I think the the main key in all of it is mass consumption like mass production right. And it's like a lot of the times, at least when I started, you know, getting into fashion and sustainability, I thought, oh, if I'm discarding my clothes, the least I could do is donate it. And then I feel good about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And in some sense, yes, it does get recirculated. But I think it's important to know, like, the whole the whole story of, like, what happens to the clothes that are not being, like, recirculated locally as well. And how important it is for like, you know, uh, community built businesses that recycle these clothes, right? So that they're not being shipped overseas. I think that's super important as well. Yeah, I actually did a post a while ago on my Instagram about like what happens to your clothes when they potentially get donated. And um, it was just kind of saying like, you know, like how to ensure that your clothes won't end up rotting in like a country, you know, a developing country. And I think uh, you really have to go through your clothes that are being donated and think like, is like, is it broken for one? Like, does it have a missing zipper? Chances are it's going to get thrown out. Like zip, that's, um, you know, any repairs, like repairing stuff is really expensive. It's really time consuming. And, you know, it it's expensive because it takes a long time. But, and also because the value of clothes is so low, then it's like, it doesn't outweigh it. Like you pay it maybe, like, I think I paid $60 for a zipper to get replaced the other day. And like, it was on an expensive jacket, but for a lot of people, like the jacket is often less than $60. So then it's like, well, you know, they can't, um, you know, justify spending that kind of money. So then if your clothes are, dirty as well like dirty is such an easy one to fix because you just chuck it through the wash before you donate it don't just throw all your dirty stuff into a bag because not only is it likely that well the actual clothes that are dirty won't be reused in any way the entire bag often gets dumped because it's a health hazard for the people sorting it um so i think that's like really important for people to understand of like when you donate something if you can imagine yourself standing next to the person who's sorting through it and feeling okay with everything that's in there then that's like fine but if you're donating stuff that you would literally be embarrassed to see somebody sort through then you have to like you know, like think about why the hell you would be putting that in there in the first place. Cause it's, you may as well just throw it in the trash. It's that's where it's going to end up anyway. 
Yeah, 100%. That kind of goes like in line with the, you know, the three R's, is it four R's? Reduce, reuse, recycle, repair. Like, I think that's an important one. And I think a lot of people who are listening who actually value sustainability want to know how to properly discard of their clothes, want to know the best ways to take care of their clothes for the longer period of time. Um, and, And something that I would really recommend people to even try to do themselves. Like if you're a creative person, maybe try mending some of your clothes yourself and, um, you know, just trying to keep it away from waste as much as possible and understanding the impact of it is super important. There are some things that are like inevitable that we can't control and that's also okay. I feel like that's something to remember is like we're trying to make it better but we can't like it's a small step process we can't just fly to the moon in one day if, <laughs> but um, but it's a slow process right it is and yeah and that's something that people should also remember because I know that a lot of the things that we talk about they can be a little hard hitting a little bit heavy to absorb mm-hmm. um, but as long as like what people take from it is like to um to make small and measurable changes in their daily lives and their daily habits. Like that's what, you know, changes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's so important just to like really understand, you know, like be conscious about all of your decisions really. And something that I'm like becoming more and more passionate about, I think the more I like personally of like clothes, you know, like, obviously we do our best to be as sustainable as possible. We're saving tons of clothes from a landfill and whatever, but there's like so many clothes that we see. And like, even just the other day, I was like looking at something that needed repairing and I'm like, the cost of me to repair this one of my staff or getting it actually repaired is going to be more money than I can sell this for. And it's like, what else do I do with this? And so I've like, have a few like ideas about like how that problem needs to be addressed. And like, one of them is like, I don't know, I think it would be a really cool business if there was repair shops that literally just took broken clothes, mended them and then sold them for what they could. And that would cover the cost. I don't know how, like how profitable that would be, but it would essentially be like a donation center, but you specialize in just fixing clothes because the amount of broken clothes that are like really cool stuff that just gets thrown because nobody can, it's just not worth, you know, buying it, fixing it and then trying to sell it, um, is a lot. And then the other thing is like somebody, if anybody's listening to this, that's in government, like policy stuff, I think there should be some form of like, um, tax exemptions, um, reimbursements, like government subsidies from like repairing things. And this goes just not just for clothes. This is like a lot, like with electronics, all sorts of things, like the amount of like stuff that is just thrown away because it's so expensive to repair things. And like, you have to think about that from like the, you know, the cost of what, what is this costing our country um, to like dispose of all this stuff? It's such a huge problem. So, yeah, I don't know. I think there's just like it's such a massive, massive problem and it needs to be dealt with from like a government um, level yeah, um, to make it more accessible to repair things and not just throw stuff away. A hundred percent. I definitely think that's that's one of the solutions that would definitely improve the industry. And I think another thing that would also help is like I know that there are some 
uh, forms of recycling, like textile recycling. But as we know, only like half the 1% actually gets recycled. So that's a big problem. So I feel like one, I think textile recycling should one become more accessible, you know, because a lot of the process that it takes to break up, break a garment apart and make it into a new renewable material is quite extensive. Um, But Mm, I think really Yeah. But I think if it becomes more means like more widespread and it's something that you both governments and policymakers and brands like massive brands contribute to, I think that's something that could really solve a lot of issues. Um, because once that once we can figure out how to break down uh, like multiple compositions like polyester and cotton or like poly, poly spandex cotton, those are usually like the, the hardest ones to break apart. I think that could really move the dial in terms of like because what we're really talking about in theory is is circularity right and in order to have like really well circular systems waste management waste control and waste rejuvenation needs to be a bit more more common practice and a, a lot more accessible so i feel like government has a big part in doing that there should be like if there are textile recycling facilities that need grants for that kind of thing like I feel like there should be something like that for those types of, you know, scientific advancements for the industry really just move the dial for a circular economy. I feel. Yeah, it really is. And like, I don't know much about like, you know, how to write policies or like even how to get that stuff started. But I think it makes me have like knowing that that's really one of like the foundation of like a really, really, not a solution as such because I don't know if it would be like a final solution but like a really good chunk of the solution um makes me have so much respect for people that can do that stuff and yeah it's definitely something I want to look into like finding out like what how do you get the ball rolling with something like that because I think it's really important yeah the other day i went on like a rabbit hole for like i don't know i think it was like three and a half hours just going on government websites like seeing how i could become a policymaker. i'm like how can i make this happen <laughs> yeah i think a really good organization that would probably be have some idea about that is um threading change is in, they're in vancouver i know they do a lot of work around policy stuff so oh, cool. be interested to talk to sophia about that yeah that would be awesome all right so um i'm so glad that we got to talk about that and really brought some insight on the impact of mass production thank you so much amy for being here and giving me all of your knowledge and insights on um how what companies do with dead stock what happens to it and all of that before we leave i know you mentioned uh velvet underground at the beginning of the episode but i would love it if you could let the listeners know how they can support your brand support what you're doing and become involved in the secondhand uh fashion industry yeah so um you can find us on instagram it's shop underscore velvet underground um we also have a website shopvelvetunderground.com and if you are in canada or in bc you can find us in whistler so you should definitely look us up and come visit us um but yeah follow us on instagram share our stuff spread the word all that kind of thing and 
um yeah just keep amplifying that message about you know shopping secondhand first and making conscious decisions and i think that's that's as much as anyone can do a hundred percent and for those of you who are listening that are vegan i know this is like super random not fashion focused but they also have a cafe oh yeah vegan. <laughs> go check out their cafe i'm sure it looks amazing yeah we often have events as well so you should if you jump on our website we're getting like our event section set up but we also post everything on our um instagram and hopefully yeah we'll be able to like post things like you know this podcast on our like event section and you can see what we're up to and get involved that way as well. Awesome. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much, Amy, again, for being here. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. And I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Nature Inspired Podcast. Show notes for this episode will be included on the podcast page on our website where you can find all information of the Velvet Underground and how you can get in touch. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.